begin our program this evening. It's, it's a little bit after 7, but I want to go ahead and get started uh, so we can really dive into this uh, presentation that is being brought to us this evening. I'd like to start with a prayer, so if we could all rise. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, all together, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, now and ever, and to the ages of ages. Amen. Please be seated. Welcome. It's good to see uh, so many of you here this evening. Uh, we didn't have a, uh, uh, any reservation uh, sort of option going, so it's, uh, we weren't sure how many people were going to show up, but I'm glad to see that the room is full. This is one of uh, three talks in a series that we're offering here at St. John's. Um, I think tonight, probably, of all the three talks is going to be the lightest, if you will, and um, uh, the next two are going to be a little more heavy, but I think they're also very important. Uh, next Friday, at the same time, same place, uh, we may host it in here or in the other room, I'm not sure yet, but uh, Dr. Ryan Hosley, uh, who has a doctorate in psychology and is, uh, specializes in addictions, is going to be here to speak to us. And then about two or three weeks after that, because we had to skip a week and then we had Thanksgiving, and we weren't going to have it on that day, obviously, but I think it's Thursday, December 1st, we have a representative from CARES Northwest coming to speak to us about child abuse. And uh, while these are all very heavy topics, it's very, very important that we're informed. And this is why we're, we're having this series. Tonight, we have uh, two wonderful people. It's a, uh, a tag team of husband and wife, which is always nice to, to do these things together. And uh, we're welcoming uh, Dr. Dean Mashofsky and his wife, Sarah who are going to uh, be speaking to us here on, on, on a couple of things, but primarily it's uh, how to build resiliency in our children and also in ourselves. And I'm glad that ourselves, that part was added, because I think that uh, as parents, obviously, we need that as well. Dr. Mashovsky has been a pediatrician for 30 years, and I think you went to school with Utham, Kentaxis? Was, was that college or medical school? So medical school and Okay, so he's family, basically. That, 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 that constitutes family. Um, he is also the, uh, on the board of directors for the uh, Children's Health Alliance, which is a group of 100 pediatricians here in the Portland metro area, and he heads up the resiliency program uh, within that organization. Uh, he is also the pediatrician for probably at least a handful of families in this church, and so uh, uh, he's a familiar face. I know he's a very familiar face to my wife, because with the amount of children we have, we're there weekly for the last six years, so <laughs> he is also known as Uncle Dean to us <laughs> in our home. Uh, his wife, Sarah, has a bachelor's in uh, child development and a master's in special education, and uh, together they raised four children, all of whom are adults now, and she works, or volunteers really, full-time for Compassion First, and she's also going to speak about that tonight, and she has some literature here, and uh, uh, they, they are not asking for any sort of honorarium 
Uh, but, but what we can do, I think, is uh, offer something to this organization that is a very, very beautiful and a very important organization, Compassion First. And we have a small basket in the back. And I ask all of you if you would uh, find it within your hearts to, uh, to offer a donation to that uh, uh, organization. And I think once you hear a little bit about it, how many of you heard of Compassion First? So two or three, okay. I think after you hear what it's about, you're going to uh, eagerly offer a donation to that to that group. So I think I've done my part. Welcome. It's it's wonderful to have you both here, and uh, I'll hand it over to you. It is. Uh... It is an honor and a privilege to be here tonight. We are um, grateful for the opportunity, so glad that so many people came out. We think this is an important topic, um, and uh, we hope you do as well. Um, we are uh, we're going to have a little bit of kind of information that I'm going to present, then we'll have a couple of exercises that Sarah's going to pre present. None of this is real formal, so please, if you have um, questions, um, it, please interrupt, and, and uh, we'll, we will have plenty of time uh, to talk about any questions that you might have. So Father Timothy did a nice job of introducing us. Um, we, um, our, our kids are now grown, and this is now a passion of ours um, in uh, what we now do, which is work together for com uh, Compassion First. Sarah's a full-time uh, volunteer. I'm on the board. Um, Compassion First is a nonprofit that we serve girls that have been rescued from sexual trafficking. I first became involved, actually we first became involved, um, it was about eight years ago now. My da our daughter was um, a teenager and I first heard about what sexual trafficking was and was asked to be a part of it and couldn't help but say no. Being a pediatrician and being a father of a young daughter. Um, it meant a lot to be able to help. We have an aftercare facility in Indonesia uh, where girls that have been rescued come and uh, for um, healing and restoration and uh, we provide them um, a stable home uh, with uh, house mothers, um, education, counseling, um, vocational training if necessary, and everything they need to um, come back to stability. Um, and we also have a local um, uh, work here in the um, uh, Marion and, and um, Clackamas County, thank you, um, as well, um, helping um, more older uh, women that have been rescued. So that becomes now our, our passion since our kids are grown. And for those of you that do have kids, parenthood doesn't end when they leave the, the nest. Um, in fact, it gets a little bit, um, sometimes a little bit harder. So the goals today are to learn about trauma and its potential for lifelong harm, to learn what resilience is and how it can prevent and even overcome trauma. I'm really proud of these pictures, by the way. Do you notice how the sun's coming out from behind the clouds? <laughs> and to give hands-on opportunities to experience firsthand how to build resilience in each other and ourselves. Okay, let's work a little bit backwards. We know that one in five adults at least suffer from mental health illnesses. Um, this, so and I actually talked to some um, uh, educators and staff at University of Portland, and I did some research on uh, what happens to our 
my patients, the pediatric patients that grow up and go to college, um, one in three students report prolonged periods of depression, one in four reporting um, suicidal thoughts or feelings, one in seven um, report engaging abnormally reckless behavior. Just a lot of a lot of things that are happening to our kids. And honestly, this is what we would think of as kind of the best and the brightest, right? This is just those that are going to college. So we know that we um, have some work to do with the, with the children in our, in our um, country and in our culture. And then just more and more problems with our high school kids as well. This is something that I've known has been in practice for 30 years, um, and it's become um, nationwide a, a real effort among um, medical health providers to provide mental health support. What can we do? Has anybody here seen the TED Talk from Nadine Burke-Harris? Okay, a couple people have. I would encourage you to do it. She, she does a brilliant job in 10 minutes of telling the story of ACEs, which stands for Adverse Childhood uh, um, Experiences. And basically, this comes from a study um, almost 20 years ago, about 18 years ago, um, in the Kaiser System in Southern California, in which they did a retrospective survey of adults asking them about trauma that they had had in childhood. And they defined trauma as either physical, emotional, or sexual abuse, physical or emotional neglect, um, and then household dysfunction, incarceration, mental illness, domestic violence, substance abuse, or divorce. They counted each of these a score of one, um, and then they looked at what the um, what the potential um, um, harmful effects of having trauma in childhood did, um, would cause. We found out that they're very common. Um, over two thirds had more than one adverse childhood events. And 12%, one in eight, had more than four. And I'll tell you why that's an important number. And, and when I first saw this data, I thought, okay, that's probably inner city, San Francisco or Chicago or New York City. It was not. These were um, adults that were in the Kaiser Health System, which means they were employed. 70% of them were college educated. 70% were Caucasian. This was um, downtown Beaverton. This was who we are. And in actual fact, um, the state of Oregon did a similar study. The numbers are the same. They're very consistent. <clears throat> and what we found from the data, as the number of aces go higher, the risk of um, morbidity and mortality from diseases in seven of the ten leading causes of death in the United States go up. Heart disease, smoking and COPD, which is lung disease, liver disease, bad health days, defined as either I couldn't go to work because I was physically ill or I was emotionally unable to, to go to work. Teen sexual behavior, domestic violence, depression, suicidality. I could put on obesity. I could put on autoimmune diseases. There are just all kinds of things that when you control for all the other variables, the issue here is that bad things happen to these children when they were young. So why does this happen? 
we have learned a lot about trauma, and and I first learned about it when we started taking care of our girls in Indonesia, and and part of this work comes from the ability to look at the brain um, and find out what's happening within it. <clears throat> This is a PET scan. So a PET scan is a fancy scan that kind of maps the brain. So if I flex my left bicep, a part of the brain will light up. As I talk, another part of the brain will light up. And it just maps the part of the brain that, that is active. The brain on the right is from an orphan from a Romanian orphanage in which um, the baby was severely neglected. And the, the um, PET scan on the left is normal. You can see the circled areas. Those are abnormally functioned brains. And, and this is truly brain damage that happens. It results in all kinds of different behavior, behaviors. Um, it prevents them from being able to verbalize any trauma that happened. It prevents them from being able to take the memory of the trauma and file it away. Normally, a, an old memory should be able to put down in the cabinet somewhere so you don't have to deal with it. But that, that part of the brain is the part that's damaged, and so that memory is right up at the very top and easily triggered. And that's what flashbacks from people that come back from um, Vietnam, that's what happens uh, when they get triggered. Um, and they also have um, difficulty um, separating out their emotions because it doesn't connect very well from the left side of the brain to the right. So they have difficulty ex expressing their emotions too. So for a lot of reasons, these people will not only be over-emotional and overly sensitive, but they can't explain why. And they think something's wrong with them, but they have no idea what it is. So all trauma is not alike. <clears throat> Motor vehicle accident is you know, typical, something that we might consider to be traumatic. But if it's brief and it doesn't happen again, and if we have a pretty good support system, that won't cause us um, any difficulty. Complex trauma is when it happens day after day, or it happens in, in a home in which somebody who's supposed to be taking care of you is now the person that is harming you, and you don't have a safe place to go. Um, and Nadine Bocaris in her TED Talk, she says, it's okay for your, your um, anxiety level and your stress hormones to be up when you're fighting a bear in the woods, but when that bear come home, comes home every night and threatens you every night, that's when complex trauma happens. And they have difficulties in relationships, um, inattention, um, difficulties with stress. And although we're going to talk about the benefits of trauma tonight, um, people that have this kind of um, trauma need counseling. And the nice thing about it is we now have techniques, traumatic therapy, that works and can take the brain that was on the right and, and convert it back to a brain that, that was normal again. So there is hope. So what's the good news? <clears throat> so because of new um, understanding of brain physiology and treatments, we now have hope that the brain damage is not permanent. Um, we know that it can be reversible. And now we have 20 years of information and study and data on resilience, and that's why we're here tonight, because we do have reason for optimism. Not only for prevention of future trauma causing problems, but also for treatment for people that have had trauma in the past. 
My glass is always half full. It always will be. Okay, so what is resilience? It's a word that's been tossed around a lot. But here's one definition that, that we really like. It's the ability to face a challenge and to manage or overcome that challenge, but not just to eat by, but to become strengthened by it. And I think the, the best way to describe it is um, with a basketball that doesn't have air in it. Um, take that basketball and throw it to the ground. What happens? It absorbs the force of that blow, becomes misshapen and deformed, but doesn't have the energy to come back again. Take that basketball again and fill it up with air. What happens? Still absorbs the force of that blow. Excuse me. But now has the energy and the ability to come back strong for another play and another day. And that's what resilience is. What I tell my patients in the office is, I can't tell which of my babies are going to grow up and have the loss of a loved one or relationship issues or struggles with school or be bullied. But I know that we have something that can prevent them from, being, um, from struggling with it. Somebody, famous football coach, even in the game of football, the best football players in the world get knocked down. He says, that's not the issue. Everybody's going to get knocked down, but it's whether you get back up again. Okay, so I've used two sports analogies. Now I'm going to go to an equally famous philosopher if you're tired of sports. <laughs> Life is not about how fast you run or how high you climb, but how well you bounce. Okay, what do we know about resilience? Again, resilience is a term that psychologists and doctors and, and physicians have been studying for 20 years. But I would say that this is a concept that is around for thousands of years. This is a concept that's well um, written about in the Bible. And, and I really feel that this is something that God has in a plan for us, and we're just starting now to figure it out. Um, we've also learned that we can all learn to be more resilient, and we can all teach others to be re uh, more resilient. We've also learned that by teaching others to be resilient, we become resilient ourselves, which is why we as pediatricians are going to be teaching resilience in our offices, having uh, training parents to coach their kids how to be resilient, knowing that some of those parents, unbeknownst to us, have been traumatized, but we're going to teach them to be resilient as well, and they're going to um, vicariously get that therapy. So how do we teach it? It's not in a classroom setting. It's not something that, that we can say, this is what you do, go and be resilient. It's actually something that is taught day by day by day through experiences. You fall down, skinning in on your bike. One approaches, oh, buddy, skinning in, let's go inside and clean it up, put a band-aid on, and have some cocoa. Or, oh, buddy, skin your knee. But look how far you went. Look how strong you are. Let's get back on and see what you can do. You're strong. I'm going to show you a really good... Uh-oh. Oh, no. Where'd it go? There it is. This is resilience. Shoot, I got it. I still have that myself. I still have that myself. What about for all the other kids? 
it's that rock and roll. <laughs> Gotta love it. There we go. That's resilience. Is that great? He just had it. And that, that goes to show you, even, though, even in the ACEs study, there's a lot of people that have a, a resilience that was never taught to them, but they have it. And did you see how he did that? You can do it. You can do it. That's what we have to be for our kids growing up so that they can have that sense of excitement and a sense of ability to be strong. Okay, I'm going to go through this pretty quickly. Some of this evidence is really what we present to doctors and psychologists to really kind of present to them that, okay, we've got science behind what we're doing. Um, and so, but I'm going to show you. This is one of my favorite studies done in Lincoln High School, which is an alternative school um, up in Wallowa, Washington, for kids in, that are just about ready to drop out. They've, and in fact, they had really high ACEs scores, f- failing in school, failing in relationships, came from very difficult families. And what they did was train their teachers how to teach resilience, and they did this for four years. And what we find, oh, first, what did they do? They provided a safe environment where the kids would go, not only was it physically safe for them, but it was also emotionally safe. They didn't allow conversations that were hurtful or harmful. They talked about conversations in model. I'm going to talk about those in a little bit, but conversations that included empathy and respect and compassion, which I would venture to say um, is unique in some of our teenagers. Um, they don't have those conversations. They emphasize values of hope and optimism and gave them a sense of family. And many of the kids, when this was all done, they said, this is my family. The people that live in my house, they haven't been a family to me, but this school has been. So what did we find out? Resilience significantly improved. Improved relationships, optimism in life, improved problem solving, school attendance, learning, decreased hardiness, uh, decreased truancy. And the important thing is, it didn't matter what the ACE score was. If they improved their resiliency, they would gain these benefits. Which means, we don't have to find out how traumatized they are to be able to give them the tools to kind of get back going with life. That, that means a lot to me as we uh, go on. And this is this is a Nan um, Henderson is a psychologist. Actually, she's a um, licensed social worker. So she's been doing work with resilience for 20 years, and, and this book is actually fantastic. Sarah and I went down for training on how to how to train resilience, um, and and she's got just a whole lot of of data on resilience. Um, the Search Institute in Minneapolis they talk about strengths and assets, and they say that if you have enough assets, you are going to be successful in life, and you can always learn more, uh, have more assets, and build more strengths in your life. Um, the Penn Resiliency Program, um, Dr. Martin Seligman, who's um, from Pennsylvania, he's considered the father of positive psychology, again, trained teachers in the public school system how to, how to teach resilience to their students. And they showed significant decrease in anxiety and depression in, in their teenagers. That's really big. Um, again, there's 25 years of experience, 30,000 individuals trained um, in how to build resilience in a train the trainer model. And what kind of caught my attention is the U.S. Army went to Dr. Sullivan and said, 
how can we train our, our troops? How can we train people in basic training? And he said, well, you're going to need, you're gonna need some, some teachers. And he goes, and the fellow from the army said, I've got 40,000 drill sergeants. So the U.S. Army right now is training anybody in, in basic training being taught resilience with the goal when they go off to war that they will have resiliency and perhaps prevent PTSD. So what are the features of resilience? Um, social competence. Basically, how to be a, a good person. Um, communication skills, both with themselves but also with adults. To learn flexibility, to learn how to go with the flow. Um, empathy for others. A sense of humor is big, um, and, and that helps people to, to deal with difficult times. And having a team. We're gonna, this theme is going to come over and over again. Having a team of friends that are supportive. The ability to solve problems. And I love this picture in which um, there's many solutions to a problem. If, if problem one happens and it doesn't work, many people that don't have resilience will just say, I can't do this. I'm defeated. But a resilient person will learn, I have other ways that I can handle this, and I'm going to go into the next way to solve it and the next way to solve it. They learn how to ask for help when they need it. And they know that making mistakes is a normal part of the process of learning. And, and um, to learn how to figure things on the, out on their own and not depend on other people. I've been thinking creatively to solve a problem. Um, Resiliency, resilient people are optimistic. They have a sense of purpose and belief in a bright future. They're goal-oriented. Um, oftentimes, um, they are... Um, they want to learn, whether it's in education or in a skill. Um, interesting, there's a lot of people that researched resilience that were not necessarily faith-based, but they found out that resilient people oftentimes rely on their faith to help them out. Oops. And then the sense of, a, sense of identity of who you are. Who am I as a person? Um, a sense that I am strong. Um, I, I, can, I can do this. Um, I'm not a victim. Um, and also the, the ability to avoid other people's negative messages towards them. And then also a sense of who they are within a group. And, and the, the term that I use is everybody needs a posse. Actually, it's not my term. It came from a trauma psychiatrist. But we need resilient people around us to help keep us strong. And, and um, the, the family that we have is crucial, but friends is, is also big. And so as your kids get up into high school, know that those friends are going to be supportive friends. Um, not necessarily, and I hate to, I hate to say it, but um, especially with the guys, much of their time together is this. Or the controller. When, when kids get together, let them play. And not play with video games, but play in the sense of, what do you want to do? I don't know. What do you want to do? Well, they have to come to a decision. Somebody's got to lead, somebody's got to follow. Maybe they disagree with themselves. They might have to have a committee, and they're going to have to work on getting along. Guess what? Those are real-life skills that don't happen when you've got a screen or texting going on. And that's important um, for the, the social construct of what's, how uh, successful resilient people can be. Okay, now I'm going to introduce Sarah, and she's going to uh, run you guys through our first activity. 
table groups? Just one group. One per stack per, per table, yeah. And then we might need. Um, I don't. I'm not sure if. Yeah, he's got enough. Yeah, there's a, there should be six per table, but then these people over here all will need. <laughs> no, I was just talking about our Timothy. If you have extras at your table, maybe if you could hold them up, then we can get them over to. Thanks. Extras. Thank you. Oh, sure. <laughs> Extras over here. Here's more. <coughs> okay. So, whoa, that's really loud. <laughs> um, this is an activity that I um, did with our group down at Nan um, Henderson's uh, training. And we actually did it just as a, an individual um, activity, didn't uh, turn it into a full group session. We're going to do both here because it's, I think it's very helpful for us to, as a group, kind of throw things out and um, learn from each other. So what I'd like you to do is just to take a few minutes. We'll probably give you about five minutes on this. This is um, our T-chart activity, and this has probably been one of the most valuable tools that we took to our team in Indonesia where we taught our staff and then they use it to um, in working with the girls. And I actually find myself creating these little T-charts in my brain now whenever I come up upon a situation that I need to uh, figure out how I'm going to push through this. So what I'd like for you to do is just to think back in your life of a personal challenge. It doesn't have to be a, a really big one. It can be a big one. None of the personal challenges will we share together as a group, but we will talk about how we got through those challenges. So if you want to dig deep and get into something um, that was really difficult for you to push through, um, that's great. You won't have to be sharing that with the group. <laughs> so anyway, take just a few minutes to think through that. Write your challenge down on the left-hand side of the sheet. And then on the right-hand side, you'll see there's two sections. Um, we all have, um, as Dean mentioned, the God-given strengths um, that have been built into us, and they're unique and individual for each of us. Um, think about that challenge that you went through and what were those internal strengths or factors that you have that helped you get through that challenge. And just write those down. For me, um, when I think of the challenges that I've gone through, my faith is my strongest internal protective factor or internal strength. And so um, that would be the first thing I would put on my list. Um, <coughs> then on the this lower part of the page, you have your external factors. What are the things um, around you, the things, the people, the activities around you that help you get through difficult times? And so I know that Dean is my greatest external <laughs> protective factor. So um, that just gives you a, a little bit of an idea on how to go with that. But just take about five minutes now, and we'll just be quiet and have you do that, and then we'll come back. 
Okay, it looks like most everybody's finished here, so you can finish yours up if you get ideas from other people as we go through this. So um, think about your challenge, and uh, then we're going to start with the, the, you're gonna write? the internal factors. So we'll start with mine. I'll say my faith is um, my greatest internal strength that I have. Does anybody else have an internal strength they'd like to share? That helps you push through. Yes, just call them out. Optimism. Awesome. Sense of humor. Very important. Yes. Believe in yourself. <laughs> okay. Anybody else? Yes. Rational analysis, okay. Thank you. Yes. Nice. Very good. I can do this. <laughs> yes. Love for your children. Yes. <laughs> There's always hope, right? <laughs> the greatest. Yes. Think outside the box. Very good. Anyone else? Yes. Good, strong sense of who you are. Yes. Prayer. Very, very important. Okay, let's go to some of those external factors. What are the things outside of you that help you push through? Friends. Yes. Church. Was that yours too? <laughs> yes. I'm sorry? Your spouse? Group therapy. I like that. Group therapy over coffee. <laughs> Exercise, good one. Sometimes just, this is not for me, but my daughter says sometimes just running it out is the best thing. <laughs> yes. Yes. Family, community of saints. Yes. Education, clinical background. <coughs> okay, so one more. Prior experience. Prior Yeah, that's a really good one because that's exactly the leading to <laughs> the next part of the exercise, so thank you. So when we look at this, um, 
this is what is so great personally for ourselves, but also when you're working with your children, is you've got your challenge here, but you look at your challenge and it's, it's one thing. And then you look over here and you see all these strengths that I have that can help me push through to work through this challenge. And so when you say prior experience, you... We all know that we are going to encounter many, many challenges through our life, um, some more difficult than others. But when you, you approach that challenge and you say, okay, I've been here before. I've done this. What did I do last time? What got me through? And you take those things and you build on them. And you, instead of the way our world seems to be focusing now is they're always looking at what we're lacking and what we don't have and, and um, how we need to um, build up our weaknesses. This approach is taking our strengths and we're recognizing and acknowledging our strengths and we're building on our strengths and when you're building your strengths then the weaker areas come alongside and so um, this for me personally and as, as our staff as well in working with the girls is the girls now are sitting down and, and they're starting to make their own tea charts themselves <laughs> the girls in Indonesia um, you know when once we introduced this to them it was like they sit down and they make their tea charts now and they they know what their strengths are and they, they know they've pushed through before and I can do this and I can I can push through again and so I think it, it for us it just helps us to be able to instead of being the helicopter parent like I was <laughs> um, coming in and always trying to fix everything and I never wanted my kids to hurt and I'm realizing now as a parent of adult children that it really would have been much easier to let them hurt when they were little than to watch them hurting when they're adults and trying to build their resilience now as we did speak strength into them. But, you know, I, I do look back and I see the areas that I could have um, taken a different standpoint with them and I could have um, focused on their strengths more and said, you can do this. You've had tough situations before. And so together, let's sit down and work through this and, and what can you do to push through this situation? How can you meet this challenge and just tackle it head on? So anyway, this is hopefully will be a great tool for you. Did I leave anything out? Okay. Thanks. It's just so often when we go through a difficult time that this side of the board just becomes magnified in our eyes. You know, it's something that we naturally do. We look at our problems and we, it's almost as if the problem is bigger than it really should be in terms of priority. And, and I think what a T-chart forces you to do is to write down what our blessings are and what we really have going for us to, to tackle, you know, there are some really difficult challenges in our lives, but we also have a really good um, set of things that God has given us that can allow us to overcome it. And, and you know, when we talk about
that resiliency, and, and it's just a word, but these are things, these are concepts that I think everybody in the room knows, um, but we're just going to kind of wrap it in a way that, that makes sense uh, for people. So now we're going to talk about what qualities, um, what personal qualities can we have that will build resilience? And again, this goes, goes through um, lots and lots of studies. They actually did a study in... Um, Hawaii for 50 years in a, in a very, very impoverished area, and they, they basically studied them for decades, and they said, okay, who are the, who are the people that were able to make it out, and, and what did they have? And, and so a lot of the studies that we have are studies like that to say, okay, what do these people have? And, and you'll see a lot of the same themes coming up. And sometimes people have them naturally, and sometimes it can be, um, it can be taught and built. Oops, going the wrong way. So, relationships. Again, we're going to be, a lot of these things you guys have already come up with on our own, so I'll kind of go over them. But these are things that you guys have already found that actually, um, the, the scientists that actually looked at it said, yes, this is what um, resilient people have. Relationships, to be a friend and to relate well with people. Service. The, the idea of altruism and giving to somebody your time or your resources without any expectation of getting something back. Huge. We found that out with our girls in Indonesia. Sometimes when they struggle, it's because they're so inwardly focused. We take them on an outing to a, an orphanage where um, some of the kids are pretty severely handicapped, and they come back from that just changed. They, they, they feel blessed to be able to help somebody else. Um, and so I recommend this at all times. There's a room in my, in my office that is dedicated to service, and I actually put pictures up of kids that have done things both in the community and, and also um, internationally um, to try to um, enhance this in our community. Um, humor, we've talked about that. Optimism, you guys have already found that out. Flexibility, the ability to change in order to cope with situations, and the love of learning. Again, it doesn't have to necessarily be academic learning. Many resilient people are not good students. Um, and what happens in, in my office, um, it's so good for kids to hear what their strengths are, because all they do is perceive themselves in what they have available to them. When they go to school seven hours a day, and they're at the bottom of the class because they struggle. They have to work harder than everybody else, and some of those students in the class never have to work. I compliment them on, on their work ethic. I say, you are learning how to work hard at such a young age. By the time you're ready to get a job, you're going to already have that, and none of your friends won't have any idea how to work hard. You should be proud of what you're doing right now. And, and I, I, it's amazing to see they just they take that in and, and they have never thought about that before. It's always been a negative. It's always been on the wrong side of the chart for them. But you can turn it around and turn it into a strength. And then they can really build on that and not look at academics as a measuring stick, but really on the effort that they put into it. Self-motivation. Competence, being good at something. 
Being good at something doesn't, again, doesn't have to be academics or sports. It can be, you are a good friend. It, it can be, um, you are so kind to people that, that need help. Those are things that, that um, can also be um, built in people, even though they may not even think of it as a strength. But if you recognize it and let them know about it, um, then they value it as well. And again, feeling competence oftentimes will breed confidence or a feeling of self-worth and, and valuable. Spirituality, we talked about that. Um, perseverance, not giving up. Again, you guys have found that. Creativity. Um, we have found that creativity through art and music and other creative outlets not only helps you in some academic pursuits, but it also happens, helps you to be a problem solver. It stimulates a part of that brain that allows us, when we come up to an obstacle, to come up with alternatives rather than, okay, this is a brick wall. I, I can't go through this, so I think I'm done. It's like, okay, what, what ways around this can I find, and how can I find a different way to do things? Perceptiveness. Um, that's, that, that's something that can be cultivated. Some people are naturally perceptive, but other people can learn that skill. And then independence in thinking. Independence in thinking is one of those things that sometimes people think of that as being a negative. It's good for people to be strong. Because really, if your child goes out and encounters a group of his friends doing something that, that he knows is wrong, do you want him to go with a group? Or do you want him to be independent? I think that's really a, a strength that can be cultivated and to let them know. That's the building of character. That's our job as parents. So when you look at that list, that's just you know one list. There are many other resilience builders. But you can look at it, and whatever number you see of your own, you can find others, and others can find them in you. Um, I think it's good for us to talk to each other about our strengths. We're going to have an exercise that's going to show you the value of that. And we'll tell you a little bit about how valuable that has been for our team in Indonesia. But no matter how many strengths we have, we can always add more and make them stronger. How do we help our children, no matter what age, to know what their strengths are? First thing is ask them. I do this in the office, and it's fascinating. I will ask a, a, one of my patients, what, what are your strengths? What are you good at? And they'll say, well, what do you mean? I say, well, what are your strengths? I won't, I won't define it for them. And inevitably, the child will say, I'm good at art or sports or math. And then I ask the parent, what do you think their strengths are? And they say, He's really kind-hearted. He's really a good friend. And if you think about it, children as they grow up are very concrete. They think of things that they do as what their strengths are. But in actual fact, the things that really we're building in them are not concrete. So it's important for us as parents to let them know what we value in them because both are important. It's good to be good in your studies or in sports or whatever. You want to have competence. But also, they, they need to know the... the um, the personal side of, of things as well. And they won't naturally come up with that, so it's our job to point that out to them. So it's our job to see their strengths, to name them, and to grow them. Quick question. Yes. When you have a child that's kind of working through that valley of despair, it can happen on a daily basis, mm -hmm. or you know, it's longer stretch, people have gone through 
extensive trauma. Are there things that you, you ask them or say to help triggering them their ability to recognize their strengths? Because a lot of times with kids, like, you'd be like, oh, you're really good at, you know, X, Y, and Z. And like, no, I'm not. I'm not, I'm not good at anything. And so they kind of, that's just a good tip. Can you repeat the question so you can go back to Yeah, so, in fact, I'll... Now you're in trouble. <laughs> now, I was merely asking um, if there are questions or things that um, just on the professional side that they ask children, for example, to help trigger within them as they're working through that valley of despair for them to identify or acknowledge the things that they're good at or their strengths. And I think part of... Part of our job as parents is, and we're going to talk later about being a believing mirror, and, and I'll answer that question specifically when we come up to that. But part of our job is to let them know when they're good at something when they think they're not. Um, and they may not latch on to it that day, but we just keep telling them, you know what? Look at what you did just there. See what I mean? You were kind. Anything. No, that was kindness. So you just point it out. You're not necessarily going to get them to buy in on day one or day 365, but over time, you just keep showing them, this is what you're doing. Did you see that? That's, that's what I'm talking about. And so they will, they will soften up, and eventually, a lot of what, what that is is just kind of a, a defense mechanism and not necessarily, I think they want to believe it, but sometimes it's just hard for them to latch onto it right away. This quote is actually from a man's book, um, and this came from uh, a young man who was a teenager that just went through a, just a horrendous family life and came through the other end and graduated, and, and they said, how did you do it? How did you make it through that, that just very tough life? And he said, what is right? Actually, he said it personalized. He said, I just, I just figured out that what is right with me is more powerful than anything that is wrong with me. If you take on anything from this, this is, this is a really good slide to, to memorize. Okay. So this is a, an activity that we took to Indonesia, and, and I'm not kidding, it really turned our program around. We had a pretty good program in Indonesia. This took us to a new level in terms of how powerful it is in, in having people uh, believe in themselves. So Sarah's passing out um, just a list of strengths, and then we're going to do an activity. One of the, one of the things that we're going to ask you to do is, is a little bit uncomfortable. We're, I guess we'll probably do this. We might do uh, maybe each table. Do you, guys, do you guys know each other enough to be able to share personally? So basically, if you're not sitting, if you're sitting with people that you don't know, find a place in the room where you're at least with three or four people that you do know. <laughs> and um, uh, those, we want at least, what, five or six? Probably five in a group, five or six in a group. It will be difficult for us to go all the way around the group. So there's um, blank paper and pens on your table. So you guys need to find a group.
you can, actually I'll have you all uh, listen up here for a second and then we'll get into the activity. But if you can situate yourself so that you can talk amongst each other, um, that would be great. Actually, you have them from the last activity, right? <laughs> okay, so if I can have your attention up here now for just a second, I'll explain what we're going to do. Um, so when... When we took this activity to Indonesia, we were told by one of our um, close staff members that that it wouldn't work. You can't do this here, Mom, because if you if pe- oh she calls me Mom. <laughs> if um, we don't we don't talk about our strengths because that's being boastful and prideful. And so we talked about it and said they need to learn how to talk about strengths and their own strengths and each other's strengths. So how are we going to do this? And that's when we, it just really hit us over the head that, well, God has built these strengths into us. And so when we acknowledge um, to others that this is a strength that God has built into me, then you're honoring the Lord. You're not being boastful or prideful. You're giving him the credit for how he's made you to be. So we presented it to them in that way and um, divided them up into small groups and intermixed. We have security team, house mom team, clinical team, the cooks, the administrative team, everybody on the staff was there. And so we had at least one person from each um, department in the groups. And so they thought, as you might think, that we're going to have you write a strength down for each person in your group. Just spend a few minutes quietly um, writing down a strength for each person. But then when you finish that in your group, then instead of just handing the person a piece of paper that has their strength written on it, we're going to be speaking those strengths to each other. Because... If you're going to be able to um, get good at verbalizing and um, seeing, naming, and growing strengths in your children, then you get to practice tonight on each other. (laughs) So I'd like you to take a few minutes and just write down a strength that you know about each person in your group. (laughs) And then we will um, spend some time sharing those. So this list is just a starting point. You don't have to take something off that list because you know the people that you're sitting with and you know their strengths and their strength very, you know, might not be on that list. Actually, we've all figured it out. Go ahead and start sharing. <laughs> start sharing. If 
peer group is not finished, can you raise your hand? Okay, thank you. You know, it, 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 it really, it kind of... Yeah, you're good. I think Okay, if we can bring the attention back here. Wow, you guys are good. <laughs> so how did that feel? Uh, how Was it difficult for anyone to receive hearing about your strengths? You can be honest and raise your hand. It was hard for me. <laughs> so some of you it was hard. Was it much more fun to tell people about their strengths? Yeah, yeah. That's really good. So we were talking um, over here while you are, all were doing that about um, when we took this, I'll, I'll continue on in the activity with Indonesia. Um, it was difficult initially for um, the staff to, to um, not to hear about those strengths, but to receive that and to, without going, oh, no, 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 no. But because of how we had prefaced it with that it really is acknowledging the gifts and the strengths that the Lord has built into you, um, we were discussing that over here and saying that it's, it's, you can be strong and humble at the same time. And so acknowledging and recognizing your own strengths is, um, is a good thing. It's a healthy thing. So... Um, what we noticed here is exactly what we noticed when we took it to our team, is that when all of you get going and, and um, sharing strengths, each other's strengths with each other, the energy level in the room just rises. And um, it's very empowering when you hear the strengths that um, people speak to you. Oftentimes we don't even recognize those strengths. Did anyone here have someone say something that they didn't really know about themselves? <laughs> yeah. So those are the fun ones. It's like, really? <laughs> I didn't never knew that about myself. But then you can, when that's spoken to you, and then you'll begin to start recognizing it more, and, and then that's when the strength can grow. And so if we, if we have that... Um, <coughs> that mindset that that we can grow and change than we do. So um, this is a great activity to do in many different situations, but especially with your children. And this before we even know anything about resilience, Dean was just reminding me of the Christmas that we spent just with our kids. It was just a cozy night around the fire and everybody in their jammies and just started talking around um, the room about what we appreciated about each one in the family. And it was it's one of our greatest family memories of, of just listening to the kids um, acknowledge the, the strengths and what they love about their brother and sis- brothers and sister in the room. So that's something you can tuck away maybe for <laughs> Christmas activity this year. But it really is very, very empowering to um, any of us, but especially to our children when so much of the time they're they get beat down by their friends and and they don't feel good enough or there's a competition between friends. Why can't I do that? They always, you know, can do this. I never get to do this because I don't, I wasn't made that way. But to recognize in our families, um, in their, on a team, um, in a 
workplace. When you see groups of people that are put together, um, you want all different kinds of strengths. You don't want everybody to be the same because when you can draw on each other's strengths, then it just builds a stronger team. It builds a stronger family. So um, helping our kids to understand, to um, appreciate the strengths that they have and to know that their strengths bring value to other people is, is really um, a great thing for them to learn, especially at a young age. So um, anyway, I hope that that was a valuable activity for you. We know it has been for us in the past, so um, I encourage you to use it with your families. Final stretch. Um, this is um, still under the category of resilience building, but, it, but it, it's a little bit more directed. For instance, when I talk with a university faculty, we're going to emphasize certain things. When I talk with doctors, we're going to uh, emphasize other things. Um, but now we're talking with parents, and so this is going to be um, some things that are just really good things that we can do. Um, and again, this is... Um, I'm going to go over somewhat rapidly. We can't, I mean, this could be a week-long seminar on how to parent, but it'll give you some good ideas, um, and certainly um, we can talk about it afterwards. So I use Sarah and I as a bad example with my parents, with my, the parents of my, my patients, and I say it this way. You know, when, we were, when our kids were growing up, thought that self-esteem is really important, um, and so we were really, like everybody else, really trying to build our kids' self-esteem, and that included, you're so pretty, you're so smart, everybody gets a medal, and don't let anything bad happen to them, because it'll hurt their self-esteem, right? Well, what we found out is self-esteem is only, only helpful when things are going well, and if things aren't going well... Um, self-esteem doesn't help. And so we are now, um, and the other thing that we, we did differently, we talk about um, raising our kids, how to correct them. You know, kids don't always do everything that we want them to do, so sometimes we have to kind of help them out, right? And so um, for those that can't read it, the bottom part of the triangle, and the way the triangle is designed is so that we spend most of our time at the bottom under connect, and then the, the next most um, amount of time will be in coaching of our kids, and then the top is correcting. And so, and we'll talk a little bit about each of these, but when Sarah and I were parenting, our triangle was reversed. We spent a lot of time correcting verbal correction, um, timeouts, um, letting them know what they were doing wrong. Um, and we did not um, do nearly enough connecting. And I'll kind of go through that why it's helpful. Um, the word connect is simply being present with. And so much of the time, our world is just a real busy place. Um, and we have to find ways to 
connect with our kids. Sarah was brilliant when she was taking my daughter um, to to uh, acting class, and it was probably 30 minutes each way. And I said, you know, you can. There are people that live near us. We can couple. And she said, oh no, that's our time. And she utilized that time very wisely and spoke into our daughter during those times. And you wouldn't think of that as being a time of really connecting with your child, but you have to find those times. Um, a lot of times it's going to be just a look across the room. It's going to be perhaps a little sign that you have between you and your child. Um, I had one when um, we played baseball. And I had a sign with Sophie, and it was just a little father-daughter thing, and I could do it when she was not playing baseball. She was doing other stuff. Um, but those are little things just to connect with them um, and take the time that you can. And then, as with all kids, they're going to misbehave, do things that we don't want them to. So um, I love the picture of this coach. So I, I coached for 18 years in baseball and football. And, and um, coaching um, has a whole lot of things about it that at times you need to correct, but really what you're trying to do is to improve things in a positive way. And so you have to be a role model. You have to lead. Um, you have to be patient um, and persistent and calm and recognize that kids are going to make mistakes, and that's normal and okay. And I think that's important for them to know that it's okay. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. Reward the effort and not the, not the performance. And when you're coaching them, it's not about whether they put their dirty clothes in the hamper. It's showing respect for your brother and sister who, who are in the same room to try to keep it clean for them. That's, that's the coaching part of it. It's not, thou shalt put your clothes in the hamper because those are the rules. It's, you're helping other people so that, that you make it nicer for them. Concern for others, learn how to cooperate. More coaching tips. Inspire. And, and don't, don't underestimate your... I'm sorry. Um, don't underestimate your influence in being an example. And not just in the words that you say, but how you respond. How you respond to the person that cuts you off in the car. How you respond to somebody who makes a mistake in the grocery store. Um, those, are, those are all little life lessons. Um, I love this one. I teach all my uh, parents of three-year-olds. I said, you know, a three-year-old doesn't always want to wear a coat. And, and so we said, well, you might get cold. Yeah, it's okay. I don't want to wear a coat. And then when you're driving in, in the car, I'm, I'm, I'm cold. Yeah, shoot. If you had a coat on, you'd be warm right now. What are we going to remember? You get cold when you don't wear a coat, or thou shalt wear a coat. So those are the kind of things that coaching is. Um, avoid saying no. This is something that Sarah and I did totally wrong. We, we used no. Um, and, and, okay, so I'm going to tell myself now, I'm just a little bit strong-willed. So when somebody tells somebody who's strong-willed no, strong-willed people don't just shrivel up and say, okay. They say, really? Let's go. 
and unfortunately, some of our kids got their strong will from their dad, and that was not a good good mix. And and so when you say no, you are not communicating with them. You're basically drawing the line and saying, and there are times that we have to do that. But if you do that too much, it becomes confrontational, and that's not really our point in raising our kids, is it? Say no when you need to, but give them a warning. And redirect, redirect, redirect. Okay, the word encourage. So back in the day, we used to praise, you know, you're so pretty, you're so smart. We would praise them when they did well in sports. We'd praise them when they did well in school. But guess what? What happens when they don't do well in school? They, they automatically say, oh, I'm not valuable because I didn't do well in school. What we're now looking to recommend people to do is to encourage. Literally, the word means to give courage to. Let them know, man, you worked hard on that math. Yeah, I know, but I got all the questions wrong. Yeah, well, let's sit down. We're going we're gonna to work on this, so the next one's going to be better. That courage in knowing that failure is okay because it's going to make you stronger the next time, that's what's going to build them, build resilience in them. So examples would be, look how far you've come. Look how you're so much stronger than you think. Or you really worked hard on that. And there are times when we absolutely need to correct our children. But even that can be positive. Um, teach first. Stay positive. Um, give them reasons why, uh, why you have held them to that standard. How does skipping school help you to achieve your goals? And you might say, well, there's going to be a consequence, but let's talk about what the lesson's going to be. Um, it's okay to be angry, but it's not okay to hurt things or hurt people. And this is really important. Um, communication does not happen when emotions are high. And so we were just talking about uh, Dr. Dan Siegel, who's a very famous psychologist, um, and he talks about flipping the lid. Um, and so I'm going I'm to teach you this. It's really easy. This is our brain. The outer part of the, of the brain is right here. That's the, that's the higher center. That's what allows us to be logical, to think about consequences, to think about what we're doing and why. This is the inside part of the brain. That's the emotional part. And that's, a, that's a more reactive, more likely to kind of ex, be explosive. But most of the time, we can cover up our emotions and be able to keep them under control. But there are times when our lid is flipped. When that happens, there is nothing a parent can say that that child's going to understand because you're talking to this part of the brain. And so when there, and there are times when parents do this too, right? And, and it's important for us to realize that. Strong-willed dads sometimes need help telling them myself again. So used to, there's always me and our oldest when he and I were just alike. And so we would just, when he was a teenager, uh, we would sometimes, you know, go at it in the wrong way. And so I would come in and say, you know, Dean, can you get me a sweater? It's a little chilly in here. That was our code. He, she said, go chill out. You need to settle down. This is, this is getting real far. And of course, as a dutiful father, I'm sure I just, you know, oh, you're absolutely right. No. It's like, it's not cold in here. It's just fine. Right? But that's the kind of teamwork that you need. And, 
and realize that if communication is going to happen, you've got to have everything working. Okay? And that can be something that a child can learn. In fact, I use it in my office. And so you can let them know, you know, is your lid flipped? Do we need to take some time? And it's not a time out for punishment. It's a time out to get calm so that we can talk to that part of the brain that's going to listen and reason and think about it next time. Um, I, I love this um, slide because the tools that we're giving you today, these aren't new fancy tools. These are tools that have been around for a long time. Nothing is earth-shattering. We didn't invent anything when we come up with these things. These are things that generations of people have used, but we're now we have a little bit better understanding, and we're able to use them um, hopefully in a more effective way. This is um, really a big part of resiliency, is the beauty of failure. Um, boy, I tell you, when I talk with my parents about this, the teachers just come out of the woodwork. I'm so glad you're teaching about that because our kids are so afraid to fail. They're so afraid to fail that they're not willing to try. And that's a shame because really it's failure that makes them succeed. And the ability to say, okay, that didn't work. How am I going to problem solve that for the next time? We know that resilient people show persistence and ability to problem solve. They show flexibility in attacking a problem and ability to cope. And failure is a great big source of, of building that strength. Communication. This is another thing that I start with my parents when kids are three, and I actually encourage that process. And I, I literally tell parents, if you have this down by adolescence, adolescent communication will be a breeze. And, and basically, um, you see the word respect twice. Um, you teach a three-year-old, if they want something, to use your words with respect, to use your words persuasively, so tell me why you want it, and then to respect the answer. Respecting the answer is something that is not natural. Um, they have to learn that, but they learn by practicing. And I, and I tell my, my families, I say, you know, when they do that, be sure and reward them to let them know that words have power. Um, and what doesn't have power is asking three and four and five times. Now you asked that already. We're done. We already answered that question. Warning doesn't work. Yelling doesn't work. Tantrums don't work. But words have a chance to work. This can be used um, in the home. It can be used with teachers, with coaches, ultimately with, with jobs. This is something that can be um, taught and built over time so that they will know how to approach conflict in the future when it comes up. And then for, for us parents, being an active listener, so much of the time we are thinking about our answer before they've even finished their sentence. We have to wait, validate what they say. What we know about traumatized people, and I'm not saying that your child is traumatized, but I'm going to use this as an example, is that they feel that they have, somebody has exerted their power over them, and that triggers them. Well, guess what? A child knows that the parents have power over them. And if we exert that power unwieldy, 
And if we, if we are too strict or strong in, in abusing that power, we're going to make them feel less good about it. And so we really want to be able to listen to what they say, validate what they say, and then, then address it. And it, it shouldn't necessarily be something that you have to change your mind about, but at least hear them so that they know that they've been heard. That's so important. Um, and and I'll turn this off and off. Um, this is such a great picture, isn't it? That's just, I don't know, if, if you've not had teenagers yet, you'll get that look. Um, the cell phone is something that, and I know this is a generational thing. I think that, that their generation thinks that it's perfectly polite to go like this and listen to their parents. But I also know that kids know when you're on your cell phone, and if they're trying to get something from you and you're on your cell phone, they recognize that your attention isn't fully there. So demonstrate that. Again, put the cell phone away, look at them eye to eye, and listen to what they're saying. Okay, we talked a little bit about what they did up in Waller, Washington at Lincoln High School, and they encouraged um, conversations that matter. When your child comes home from school, instead of asking how does school go today, um, you can talk about things that are uh, of a little bit more substance. And again, it depends on how old they are and, and kind of what they're capable of understanding. Um, but one conversation might be like this. Um, what do you think about people that are different from you? Um, encourage them to understand diversity. Um, it might be socioeconomically, um, ethnically, different faith, different abilities. Um, how do you feel about people that are different from you? And hopefully, hopefully you have taught them to say, you know, the, uh, the people, there are lots of people that are different, they're okay. We're going to turn it around and roll that a little bit. Well, what, would, what would happen if somebody that was different from you criticized you for who you are? Criticized you because you're good in math or because you're a jock in, in sports? Um, what do you think about that? And what that does, it forces them to think about who am I, who am I and what makes me strong? And it's a perfect example for you to go by them, to, to stand by them and say, if, anything, if anybody ever criticizes you, you know who's going to stand by you at every step along the way, your family. And I, I tell, I, I kind of do it like this. And kids need to know that they have roots and that their family is going to be the biggest strength for when that wind blows. Um, and they need to know that. And you can start having those conversations early on to build them for that time that they get picked on or bullied or criticized for some innocuous thing. Um, but they know that they have family and then help them with their other strengths as well. And hopefully they have um, friends that will do the same thing. But this is a great time to teach them about character. What, what would you think about somebody who, you know, name, name it, cheats on a test or takes something from the school and just kind of, kind of talk through them? And again, it doesn't have to be you telling them what's right and wrong. Let them come to that conclusion themselves. They, they usually do. They usually know right and wrong. But it's always better for them to, to bring it up than for you to be the one that has to tell them uh, what's right and what's wrong. I think I've talked about this already, but it is so valuable to allow 
our children to learn how to serve. Um, honestly, we just had um, breakfast this morning with our pastor, um, and we talked about the value of uh, mission work, and particularly going to pe- to serve people that have less than us. You know, we live in a very privileged world, um, and I think that when our kids see what other people don't have compared to what we have, there's going to be a humility that can't be taught in words. It's taught in service, and I think that's really important. Everybody knows this, right? Um, It doesn't have to be at the table. Um, but it has to be done. Somehow, some way, make it happen. Um, it might be one night a week that's special. It might be, um, you know, everybody's got their own way of doing it, but find a way to make it happen. Um, we were just talking about how being together as a family, you know, when you're when you're apart from people, it's a lot easier to say nice things about them than when you're kind of living right next to them. And so sometimes you have to kind of, you know, get rid of the, the, the rough spots. And sometimes that takes a retreat away somewhere else where, you know, they're, oh, what are we going in the car for? Well, we just need to go to a place that, you know, we're not getting phone calls, we're not getting, um, you know, um, uh, interruptions, and we're just going to spend some time together. Uh, I love the last statement, have fun, enjoy the journey, and worry less about, about the destination. Um, when your kids grow up, you have no idea where they're going to go. Um, you you kind of have a, you have hopes and dreams for them, and they have their own. Um, and whether they have those dreams or some something else, um, it's going to be the journey that you remember. And so don't forget that. And, and um, if you're so busy doing things that you take away from the time that you have as a family, you're missing out. Okay, this is, when we're talking about, talking about our kids, I love this. See the kitten looking in the mirror, and looking back at him is this big, strong lion. We are that mirror. We are that believing mirror. Even though we see their frailties, we see their insecurities, we speak their strengths to them so that they can grasp that and they can be strong. That's going to be important. And we have, Sarah's got a whole activity on that that we really don't have time to do, but it's such a great visual. I just had to show you, and, and that's a good thing for um, parents to be as a believing mirror. I think everybody knows that a helicopter parent is a bad thing. Um, but Sarah and I were helicopter parents for one of our kids. Um, it's, it's an easy thing to do. We care so much about them, and we don't want them to suffer. Um, and in his case, he was just going through a very difficult time, and we were trying to protect him from any bad things happening. Until an eighth grade teacher said, you know, you're going to have to let him fail. And for me, literally, it was like, oh, yeah, that's right. You're absolutely right. And for Sarah, it was like, no, no, we can't. And it's, it, Already struggling with enough. Right? Right? And, and, but he, the teacher,
teacher was right. And, and helicopter parents you know, come in all kinds of, of sizes, but basically the theory is you swoop in and protect them from, from bad things happening, and you don't allow them to grow. Um, and this happens happened when um, this was talking about um, the people in college, and they tell me about how helicopter parents follow their kids to college um, and try to protect them from bad things happening even when they're in college. Um, boy, our children need to be strong and they need to be ready to be adults even before they leave the nest. And so allow them to have that strength. Allow them to have those opportunities to fail because that's what prepares them for life. That's what teaches them resilience. Just a quick plug. Resilience can only go so far in somebody who has had traumatic stress and significant trauma. Um, counseling is what's going to help heal them in the long run. Don't forget the T-chart. So if you can't read it, the challenge is on the right and all those strengths are on the left. Um, this is something Sarah has mentioned, um, our team has mentioned. Um, it is something that you can do mentally. You can just say, okay, you know, what do I have to combat this problem? And, and it is such a great teaching tool um, for everybody, including our kids. It's going to take time. Be patient with the process, and it's going to happen. Thanks for your attention. Do you have any, any questions? Take 15 minutes if you want for your question. Okay, yeah, I'd love to. Any, any questions at all? Yes. The PowerPoint? I'd be happy to. Yeah. Yeah. Brother Timothy, you want me to send it to you and then you can send it on? Yeah. I'm fascinated by the whole um, generational differences. And, um, you know, there's a lot of focus now on millennials coming into the workplace. They're a great source of humor for us. Humor's um, <laughs> one word. reality that our world is a much more cruel place than it used to be. Um, unfortunately, um, we're in an information age where anything bad that happens gets publicized and oftentimes, you know, uh, creates a lot of fear. And so I think that there is a lot of fear of letting our kids, like I did, you know, go down to the pond and play um, and, and be gone from the house, you know, all day long and show up at dinner time. Um, I, th I think that uh, I don't have an answer for 
you know, what generated this. Uh, you know, I, I don't have an answer for ourselves other than we were doing what we thought was best to try to protect our kids. We didn't know there was a downside. And so I don't think that there was a whole generational shift that happened necessarily. Um, but we thankfully learn from our mistakes um, and somebody that's going to be a sociologist or an anthropologist or somebody can study that and kind of say you know, where are we in our society that we, you know allow these things to happen or don't allow these things to happen. That's beyond my scope. I, I observe life on a, on a day-by-day, family-by-family basis, um, and I, for 30 years, I don't think parents have changed significantly. I think our, our world has changed, um, but the love and concern for the child has not changed a bit. How we do things changes. It just does. Life goes on. Um, but I don't know that there's a whole lot of forces that I can identify that would say, this is why we are the way we are. So I, I guess that's a long way to say I don't know. In the fear? That's 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 really an honest appraisal. Yes. Coming from the fearful mom. This is perfect person. I, the more you practice it, the better you get at it, and um, you spend a lot of time on your knees. <laughs> Prayer is is the the biggest factor in releasing that fear. Um, but mine still tends to creep up, <laughs> especially in the work that we do and the world that we live in. We know there's a lot of yucky stuff going on out there, and we want to protect our kids from it. But the more time I spend with, I would say especially my daughter, um, the boys tend to be a little more naturally resilient <laughs> than, than she is, but... Um, time I spend speaking her strengths into her and reminding her of that, it's building my strength in um, being able to um, be a strength for her. When she was in college, I would spend hours on the phone with her, drove him nuts, because he's going, be done with it, just get off. (laughs) I knew what she needed, and so he'd leave the room. And he'd hear me winding down on the conversation, and by the time I hung up, he was standing there so I could burst into tears <laughs> with him because it was so emotionally exhausting to work through some of these things with her. But the more you do it, and the more you trust in um, your own strengths, and the more you use this T-chart and, and just even when difficult things happen, instead of I 
found with myself instead of rising to it and, and saying, oh my gosh, I can't believe you did that, um, was just being more matter-of-fact about things. Okay, that happened, so we can't change that. Let's start from now, and how are we going to deal with this moving forward? So I just have, have found that the more, the more I am building other people's strengths, the more I'm building my own strengths, and the fears tend to release with that. Um, and I, the greatest thing I think that I have learned that I've tried to pass on to my daughter is we waste so much energy on worrying. Um, and it is just wasted energy. What can I do with that energy that's positive? And so I think that's how I've grown uh, through the years in my parenting. It took me probably until I was about, what, 50 to get that one? <laughs> yes, it's just, if you can't change it, don't worry about it. So um, that's helped me tremendously um, through the last decade. <laughs> Fear and anxiety is a very difficult thing to deal with, um, but I do think that um, you have um, hopefully a group of people that you can go to that are also perhaps young moms as well to kind of share with, um, and you've got some mentors that have been down the road um, before and, and, and can help. Um, and I do think that just as you are allowing your child to go through difficult things and it's hard for you, you are building that strength in you to, to be confident in them. If you can't have that confidence, they will never have that confidence. And so it's an important thing to keep working on. Um, and and nobody, nobody can parent on their own. I mean, nobody should have to parent on their own. I shouldn't say that they can't. But um, if, if you um, struggle with an area of parenting, you know, ask your physician, ask um, your friends, um, ask the, the people that you know and trust that have been down that road before and let them help you. So when you get into those uh, pre-teens and the teens and you think that somebody is showing resilience and instead what they're really showing is the mask. It is the mask, yeah. If you're strong and you're very yeah. how do you how do you learn to have the skill yeah. Yikes. That's a really hard one. Did you guys all hear that? Yeah. So, um, I'm, I'm not even going to come up with a long answer to, um, I don't think I can, I don't think I can answer that. Um, I think that, um, what, what we want to, hopefully do is to give them the freedom to share um, and to um, allow them to um, you know in some way open up to you um, and there are times of life where that's harder than others particularly middle school years that's uh, particularly difficult. Well, some kids, you know, are, it's real easy for them, but for others, they just go into lockdown mode, and you'll be able to talk with them a couple of years later, and it's really hard, even for trained professionals. Um, in fact, I've had this circumstance where I've, uh, I've been unable to kind of crack, crack the, the egg.
bag and get inside to the to the what's going on. And so I would refer them, and even the counselor couldn't get get in. And so. It, it won't stop you from speaking strength into them. It won't stop you from showing them unconditional love and to let them know that you will be there for every step along the way. You still build those roots even though you're not sure exactly what's going on inside. To that, to the, yeah. So... Okay, so um, what she was saying is it's also important for, for us to be able to acknowledge our own failures as well. It's so important as an example for our kids to, for them to know that we're not perfect. They already know we're not perfect. But for us to admit that to them also gives them the freedom to say, I'm not perfect either, and I struggle with things too. And so that sometimes can open, open things up as well. or whatever you need to have to be resilient. And one of them I kept noticing was humor or sense of humor. Mm-hmm. That's a, that's a good question. I think humor can be um, learned. Some people have it naturally, and some people will, will try and try and try and never be funny. Yeah. Yeah. I, the, and the question is, can we teach humor? I don't know. I think there are there are some personality types that I think will probably never be somebody that will get jokes and give jokes. I think there are some kids that will grow up to be adults that that will be very difficult. So I don't think it necessarily is one. And remember, this is a list. This is not a checkoff list that if I have these things, I'll be resilient. We might have three, or we might have five, or one. And if we don't have the others, that's okay. We relish, we take, we join the ones that we do have. And so not everybody will have it. Um, If you have humor, and he gets one of your ten jokes, it's like, yes! <laughs> Celebrate it! And let him know that you did a good one. And, and sometimes it just takes a little bit of loosening up. They'll roll their eyes nine times, but you get them that tenth time and they realize, okay, she cares. She's really trying. She's lame, but she's trying. <laughs> I don't mean that for you. I mean, <laughs> How are we doing? Are we time wise? Yes. Uh, on the humor thing, I often thought that it's, it's not it's not being funny necessarily. It's almost like a state of mind of seeing humor in yourself. All things that happen every day, and also kind of a self-deprecating humor. Yeah, not taking yourself too seriously. funny too. But plenty of times my, parent, my, my kids have laughed while calling me a dork and it's okay. So yeah. I, 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 yeah, I, I try. Dad humor. Dad humor. It's, apparently it's a thing. Absolutely. Yeah, we didn't even talk about 
about that. Literally, I gave it a talk today at, at a, a doctor's office, and, and their entire staff was there. And one of the things we teach them is organizations have resilience too. And for the same um, for the same reasons that people need to know what their strengths are, and and um, and need both individual strengths, organizational strengths, but also external strengths. An organization can also learn how to be more resilient too. So absolutely, that's true. Uh-huh. Um, the high school that's in Washington is really interesting to me because I need to, to have all those kids go through one white thing in high school is hard. And then with all the trauma and everything that they experience to have meaningful, constructive conversations with each other and feel safe and everything to do that and for them to build that environment is amazing. But my question is, because I work in a high school and our kids also have some like troubling homes. And so when they come to school, they're only allowed to use their cell phones at lunchtime. But it's also the only time that they can socialize. And when I look out and the sea of the large commons and all these kids are just having conversations with their earbuds in their ears, they're just not even bothering. Um, and this, the, the easy answer might just be like, get them while they're young. But how do you, one, encourage kids not to use their cell phones? Not even when you're not in the room, just like with each other. You just have to like make sure you have a deal with their parents. Like make sure kids don't own phones until they're whatever age. And then how do you encourage them to have meaningful conversations? Because when our kids do talk, if I like catch notes or like walk by, there's a third like really third list, like really superficial almost heart-wringingly sad land conversation. And I know that they're capable of more, but I don't know, you know. So, like, how do you encourage them to have complex conversations or feel safe and all this without cell phones? Yeah, boy, that's a really good question. What what school are you? Where are you? It's a high school in Woodburn. Oh, in Woodburn. Okay. Yeah. So um, this is a this is a for me a big a big issue. I think that um, if I were in charge of the world, cell phones would be checked at the door, and you go through school without a cell phone. You pick it up on your way out. Um, I think that there's really very little need for cell phones in the middle of the day. Uh, there just isn't. Um, um, and and I think that we are going to have to deal with this as a society because we are becoming much more impersonal. Um, and unfortunately, the impersonal nature of texting um, emboldens people um, to do things that are very hurtful. Um, and all of a sudden, somebody who would never ever think of saying something slanderous to somebody, they can do it anonymously across a text. Um, and that's a big problem in our society. And so so I don't have the answer to that. I do think that, um, so I personally am working with our school district and when we do the training for our pediatricians, I'm going to encourage them to work through the teachers because you guys have the kids all day long. We get them every once in a while. Um, and the parents get them, you know, a, a smaller amount of time than the teachers actually do. So I do think that um, we have things that we can that we can do, um, but it's, it's, it's not an easy fix. It's, it's going to be difficult. Difficult. Yes. I'm oh, sorry. I'm wondering about this too about the whole abrasiveness and meanness that's kind of pervading our society. I watched a documentary uh, recently. It's called We Are Legion, and it's on Netflix, and it's about the anonymous group. And it's really um, when you when you watch it, you think about more of the social aspect of it as well, and how you have this hacker culture. And you think of 
things on the spectrum a little bit. They don't have the best interpersonal skills. You know, they're the ones who sit behind a computer and they get an instant, you know, gratification, instant reaction from the computer. They're not doing that um, interaction, that give and take, you know. Mm -hmm. So uh, I, I wish we could do something to change our society, but I know what we can do. We can change our families, and we start there, and we can change our community um, and, and build on that. And you can try to change as I am. I'm trying to expand my community beyond just my practice, but to, to tell other people how you can build resilience. And so, you know, Control what you can control, and then pray about the rest, and we'll, we'll see what we can do. Another question? No? Yeah.
Board comment. Um, well, just, that high school, there is a marvelous That, that you can find out. I think it was shown in Vancouver at a church at some point last year. And so you can kind of find out. website has a bunch of good, really good resilience videos, and that one might be in there okay. as well. So Nan Henderson, uh, resiliencedotcom. There. Oh, resiliency. Really? Oh, resiliency.com. <laughs> and there are many, many wonderful. Um, documentaries that she has listed there that you can, some of them you can get on Amazon, some of them you can get through YouTube. Um, so anyway, that's a resource. And she also has many, many, many other online resources as well. Do you want me to do this? Oh, okay. So I just want to quickly um, share with you a little bit about Compassion First, what we do um, evening job, not our day job. My day job is evening job. Um, anyway, eight years ago when um, uh, our youth pastor at Beaverton Foursquare um, learned about sex trafficking, his wife said, I think you're supposed to do something about that. <laughs> so um, it basically um, evolved into uh, many people in our church family becoming a part of the board, Dean being one of them. And we um, have been, our, we have a shelter in North Sulawesi, Indonesia, for girls that have been rescued from sex trafficking that are we 13 to about 20 year olds. And then we also have another work in um, uh, East Java with, at a cemetery that we were introduced to. With Basically, the women there are aged out sex workers that um, don't have any other way to provide for their children. So they clean the graves by day, and then they um, provide services at night for um, pennies to feed their children in the morning. So when we um, learned of this new population, we knew that we couldn't ignore them because if we, these are the women that are the girls really that were taking care of, potentially they could end up in that same place. So when we went to Indonesia, and actually still now we are the only um, Western organization doing the work that we are doing. For some reason, um, Thailand and Cambodia have, um, people have flocked there to work with us. Uh, survivors. Um, but in Indonesia, I th we think because the borders are so porous, it's, it's very easy to traffic people um, across the borders um, via uh, ships and planes and whatever. So we thought we were going to just open up a shelter, um, but we just have taken it very, very slowly and let the Lord lead, and it's been amazing the work that he has done, because none of us were equipped to do this. We had no idea what we were doing going into it. Um, but 
we've been able to, Sergeant Geiger from the Portland Police Bureau, who was the head of the Sex Crimes Unit here, um, is uh, part of our team. And he went to Indonesia and trained the, the police force in our city where our shelter is. And how long has Mike been going over? Five years? Three years? Three or four years? Um, and we just learned that um, the, well, I don't know if you know anything about trafficking, but there's always a source city, a destination city, and um, our city is a source city, and Papua is a destination city, and there's many, many um, just brothels there that people go there for um, sex tourism. And so we um, just learned from the police in Papua that since uh, Sergeant Geiger has done his training with the police in our city in North Sulawesi, um, that trafficking of the girls in our city has dropped by 50% um, in the four years that we've been doing this. So um, we had no idea. We were going to be doing that. We just thought we were going to care for, for girls. So it's been really exciting to see how God has just opened up doors um, for the, the work to progress. And, and we're in an area where there's absolutely no social services. They don't have the services like we have here. Um, their schools don't train their social workers or their psychologists like we do to counsel. They're, what, 20 years behind where we are health services and so it's just pretty much a stigma if you need counseling so it's just not offered so um, our team we've been able to take trainings over to them and, and they're experts in trauma <laughs> and the work that we're doing and, and yet they don't have the initials behind their name <laughs> like um, people do here but they are just an amazing staff uh, we have a staff of 32 that we provide 24-hour services. It's we have a locked facility, but it's not a lockdown facility. If the girls choose to leave, then we work out a safety plan with their family, and they can go home. But it's um, been absolutely amazing. We've grown tremendously in our, our own lives and our faith. We have a family in Indonesia that are just the most remarkable people that um, we've met. These girls are strong. They didn't know they were strong, but they do now. <laughs> and um, they're healing, they're growing, uh, they're changing, they're dreaming again. They didn't know how to dream um, when they first came to us. And so we've um, we opened the doors in 2010, and last year we graduated our first girl that completed the program, and she um, was too far behind in her education, so she chose a vocational route, and she's a hairstylist, and so she's working independently now. We have one who um, came to us, and she was from a Muslim family, and she, um, on her own, chose to go to church with the girls, and she now is in Bible school, <laughs> and, um, just doing remarkably well, and we, um, we have girls from third. 14 to 20 now, uh, living 14 years old to 20 years old, living in the shelter. And so anyway, it's exciting. It's wonderful. We, um, 
I brought some materials if anyone's interested. This actually is our booklet from our banquet this year that we just had, and it was celebrating the resilient women and children of Compassion First. And so our focus was resilience, and Dean spoke. And, um, but in here is a, a letter or a note of our history, and then there's also stories of resilience that the girls have shared, um, how they've grown in their own resilience since they um, discovered that they were strong. And then I also have some, um, just a, a general booklet. We have child sponsorship programs, both in the cemetery as well as in our shelter, and staff sponsorship as well. So if anyone is interested in learning more, we love volunteers in our office. We're uh, housed in the East Palau um, Association building down on, um, off of Cornell. So, um, anyway, we'd love to chat with you about it. If you would like to make a donation this evening, um, you can make checks to Compassion First. And there is a basket on the table back there where all the other materials are. So, thank you. On behalf of everybody here, uh, Dean and Sarah, we want to really thank you for taking the time uh, out of your day. Obviously, uh, even though you're not actively parenting little children, you're very active in your lives, uh, not only in your private practice. But thank you for just incredible content and a lot of information that I think is uh, uh, very valuable to us and what we take home. And the exercises are great. Um, I really like these sort of things because they're interactive and they, they give parents' tools to actually use, and oftentimes I think because we feel like our toolbox is nearly empty, we don't know what to do, and I think sometimes, going back to what you had said, Maria, that I think sometimes fear comes because we don't know what to do. It's sort of the unknown. So having a not only a concept, but also a practice of how to do these things is, is really, really key. So thank you for sharing the exercises and all the information that you gave us. Um, Dr. Mishofsky will send me the PowerPoint, and if you would like a, 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 that PowerPoint, then you can just contact me through the church, and uh, I'll send that on to you all. Um, it's wonderful to have you, and uh, we're very blessed to have you this evening in our community, and thank you again for taking the time. Also, uh, as a reminder, again, next Friday, we have our second talk in the series of three. It'll also be from 7 to 9, and then the third talk will be on Thursday, December 1st, from 6.30 to 8.30, but I will remind you of that. There is a misprint on our website and on the stuff that came out on that third talk, so I'm telling you now, but we'll correct it where we can so that it uh, hopefully doesn't uh, confuse you uh, when that time comes. So thank you all for coming. I, I feel really uh, grateful that, that all of you came today, and hopefully you can come back the next two times and ask other people to come as well. And if they miss this, uh, we do have it in a PowerPoint, and we also recorded it. So hopefully that recording came out well, and we can perhaps post it on our website, and then you can listen to it there and have the PowerPoint in front of you, uh, and for those people maybe who weren't able to make tonight. So please uh, let's stand and we'll close with a prayer and we can be on our way. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. O Christ, our God, we thank you for this time together to hear these words that are encouraging to us. 
We ask that you help us to implement the things that we have learned, that with patience and love and courage we go forward to parent our children in a way that is deeply pleasing to you, to help them to build resiliency in a world that is becoming more and more evil, but to always see the good and to always find ways to be strengthened through your grace and through the gifts of others around us. In your holy name we ask of these things and give thanks to you. Amen. Again, if you'd like to make a contribution, please put it in the basket. Uh, Take the literature. And also, Compassion First has a very nice website. You can look at that and and find out more about uh, what Sarah was talking about tonight. Have a good night. Doing great. How are you? Good. Doing really well. Like that face. Milk. Is that right? I have a couple of coats that I got for free from her. <laughs> she uh, she went for Roper and she had like all this uh, excess uh, demo wear. Oh, I see. You wear vests? I've been known to. I've got a few.